pastor here at Charlotte Chapel. Can I just add my welcome? It's great to see you here this morning. If you're regular with us, if you're just visiting, we're really glad to have you. If there is a God, if there is a God like this great, all-powerful God we've just been singing about, if there is a God who is going to reign forever, if there is a God who is seated on his throne in heaven with all power, why does he allow so much evil in his world? Why does he allow so much evil? I'm, I'm sure many of you have asked that question yourselves or been asked that question by somebody else. I mean, it's a very significant question, a very serious one, a very obvious question. Given the world we live in, it's the sort of question which, when people run into this question, it can, it can shipwreck their journey towards God. It can halt a search for God in its tracks. In fact, if you, if you haven't asked this question yourself of how there can be so much evil and wrong in our world, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I think the world we live in forces us to face this question, doesn't it? You might have thought that the, the endless parade of evil and suffering and horror on TV might desensitize us to all this. That as we see on our screens and read in the news every day of more evil and horror and wickedness done in the world, that we would just be overwhelmed by it. We would end up being numb to what's going on. But it seems to me there are still things that get to us. There are still things that get to us. Things which get under our skin. Things which past the defenses we put up to these sort of stories of horror and wrong and they get inside us and we, we, we feel them right here. Different things for different people, I think. Um, does, does that resonate with you? Is there, is there something that you particularly feel? Is there a wrong in the world that gets to you? For me, it's, it's children's suffering. It's children suffering, whether that's here in our country, whether that's, that's children abused in our country. We, we keep seeing these horrific stories. Who, who could stand by and let that happen? Or, or maybe it's just children neglected. Sometimes there's this horrific neglect, but so often for me, when I'm awake in the world, when I'm um, alive and looking and paying attention, I see so much run-of-the-mill neglect in our world, over-busy parents with their own agendas, uh, parents for whom their children are just an, an inconvenience to be, to be pushed out of the way. I feel that, and that, that, that gets to me. Or, or overseas, imagine being born into a life where your entire life is going to be lived on one gigantic dump, that that's probably all you're ever going to see of the whole world. Or imagine growing up where your job every day is to take big rocks and break them into smaller rocks. To make gravel by hand. Um, I was in Uganda, um, traveling around, and uh, we drove past people where this is their life. Children's entire life is breaking big rocks into small rocks. Imagine being born into a war in Syria, right, where all you've known growing up is people dying, and uh, destruction dropping out of the skies on you, people killing each other next to you. Imagine being born into a famine where life consists of looking for your next meal. Imagine being born into a world of poverty where you live each day on less than what it costs us to get a cup of coffee. 
Now, this is our world. This is all for real. Uh, this is all going on around us. This one that I feel, this gets to me. Is there something that gets to you? Is there, is there something wrong in our world that bothers you, that gets under your skin? Do you see some evil and you wonder, how can this be? How can a good and loving and powerful God, how can our God seated on his throne let this happen? If there's a God, why does he allow it? What could possibly explain this state of affairs? Does that, does that resonate with you? Actually, isn't a broken world our, like ours, a broken world where evil has the upper hand, isn't that actually shouting at us that there is no God? Is that what it tells us? Is that the only thing it could really mean that evil has the upper hand because there is no one sufficient to stand against it? That suffering has the upper hand in our world simply because there's no one sufficient to end it? Is that what this world that we see tells us? Is that what it really says to us? Is that the logical conclusion we have to draw when we look at what's going on? This place is in a mess because there is no one upstairs to sort it out. Is that what it tells us? Certainly that's what it tells a lot of people. Certainly that is the conclusion very many people around us reach. But Jesus has something to say to us today about this, something which connects with this problem, this broken world, this messed up world, and he says it with the strangest of things. He says it with a story about farming. Let me read that story to us now. Um, please follow along with me. It's on, on page 979 in one of these red Bibles, if you've got one of those. It's in Matthew chapter 13. That's page nine. Seven, nine. Now the chapters are the big numbers in here and the, the verses are the little numbers. We're looking for Matthew chapter 13 on 979. Nine. Let me read to us. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. The servants asked, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That's a pretty simple story, isn't it? Even though most of us aren't farmers, I think we can identify with what it's like to sow seeds and grow crops. Uh, 
even though in this country we don't really farm by hand anymore, I think we can still understand what it would be like to do this. I mean, have you ever, have you ever even planted seeds? Have you ever planted seeds in your garden and wondered why it is that weeds come up? Why does the weeds come up and grow so much better than the seeds we plant? Why is it the weeds grow so well and seeds don't? Can you, can you picture the field when it's been planted? All looks fine. And then can you picture it a few months later? Look on the servants' faces when up come these, these weeds alongside the harvest. Hang on. That's not what we planted. That's not what we planted in this field. It actually, it actually seems to be a very realistic story. Do you know there are Roman laws about what to do with somebody who plants weeds in their enemy's fields? This apparently is the sort of thing that happened. Now, I don't want to give any of you ideas this morning about going and planting weeds in your neighbor's gardens. But this sort of thing seems to have actually happened. It's a simple story from ordinary life. So what's it got to do with where we started How does this have anything meaningful to say about the presence of so much evil and so much wrong in our world? What happens when the weeds are discovered? That that fateful morning when the servants go out into the field and they go, hang on, that's not what we planted. They're aghast. They come to the master. Didn't didn't we sow good seeds? Didn't we sow good seeds? Where, Where did the weeds come from, they ask. There's something wrong in the field. How come? How did that happen? There is something wrong in our world. How come? How did that happen? An enemy did this, he says. An enemy did this. Why are there weeds in the field? Why is there, why is there wrong in the world? Didn't, didn't the master plant good seed? Didn't God, when he made everything in the beginning, didn't he say it was good? Didn't he say it was very good, in fact? But an enemy has been at work. Sowing seeds, sowing weeds, and now there's this mess. So here's a very first step in answering this question we're facing the morning. How come there is so much wrong in the world? How come? Because an enemy has been at work in this world. That's how come. But that's not the end of the story. What next? Where, where do we go from here? What, what are we going to do about all these weeds in our world? What, what, what is he going to do about all the mess in our world? Do you want us to go and pull them up, the servants ask? No. No comes the answer. What? Really? Leave the weeds to grow like, like only weeds grow? Wouldn't it be so much better if it was... Plants? Are we going to let those weeds compete with the crop for light? Are we going to let them grow alongside it? Are we going to let them spread their leaves wide in the field? Are we going to let them sow their own seeds? Are we going to let them remain? Isn't that going to make more mess? Why not sort this out? Why not deal with this right now? Well, weeds in the picture, in the story, sure. It's no big deal. It's only weeds in a field, really. It's only weeds in a field. It's not going to look so tidy, but you can sort it out at the end. But what about our real world? What about evil? What about wrong? Just 
Just let that keep on growing? Really? Just let that keep on growing? No need to pull it up just now? Really? No need to pull it up? Just let it run? Is that really the plan? That's not so easy to swallow, is it? That's not so easy to swallow. Leave those children to suffer? Really? Leave ISIS to keep on advancing in the Middle East? Really? Just leave it? Let evil get away with this? You better have a good reason, God, we say. You better have a good reason. This is evil and you're letting it grow. Why would you let this grow? Well, what does the master say about this? He says, while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. You may uproot the wheat with them. Don't remove these weeds because you might harm the crop. It cannot be done safely, independently, cleanly. It simply can't be done without damaging the good crop. At least not now. Aren't the weeds already damaging the good crop? Aren't they already competing with it, pushing it out, stealing its light and life? Isn't leaving the weeds in place damaging? Not pulling them out? Isn't leaving evil with the upper hand wreaking havoc on our world? Isn't it doing a hundred times more damage than it would do simply to destroy the evil out of our world now? A divine surgical strike, right? Have you seen the missile cam footage? You can watch us drop our bombs exactly on the building we're looking for. Now, cannot God, cannot God hit exactly what he wants to hit? Can he not rain fire and brimstone on exactly the evil he wants to seek out? Can he not do a surgical strike, limited collateral damage? Just how all-powerful is our God if he can't do this? And yet the story Jesus is telling us says no. It says it cannot be done without risking the crop. Not until harvest time. Not until the end of the season. Then. Then it will be done. Then every weed is going to go and get burned up. Then there's going to be a once for all sorting of every evil. No more danger of damaging the crop then. The crop is safe. Growing season is over. It can all be sorted at the harvest. So I want us to be clear. Jesus is asking us to believe two things with his story. Two things. First, God has his reasons for leaving the things the way they are right now. It is not that he is unaware of what is going on in this world. He has his reasons. Secondly, God will sort this out in the end. He is not going to let it go on forever. There will be a judgment. It's just deferred. Just deferred. How does a story like this help us with the question we started with? Does this really help? Does this really explain how a good and all-powerful God could stand by when the world looks like this? Do we understand any better well, Jesus' disciples did not fully understand the story as he told it to them. So perhaps we're making a big mistake when we think we do. They, they asked him to explain it, and he did. He gave them some more detail. So let's see if we can make more progress once we add this extra explanation. 
this extra information into the mix. Let me read the section where Jesus explains the story. It's just over the page, page 980. starts at verse 36. Just over the page. Well, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the harvest, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Hmm. So, When Jesus explains this, he does it in two parts. Did you notice that? First, he maps a whole bunch of things for us. He tells us this is this, this is that, this is that. And then secondly, secondly, he focuses on the end of the picture. He explains how the story maps onto the world. He tells us who the sower is, what the field is, what the good seed is, what the bad seed is, who the enemy is, who the harvesters are, when the harvest is. Feels pretty exhaustive, doesn't it? He hasn't left very much there for us to guess at at all. But there are a few surprises in there for us. If you were with us last week, you had heard us talking about the parable of the sower. This very, very famous story of the man who goes out to sow his seed on different soils. And one thing to notice is last week the seed was the message about the kingdom. But in this parable, the seed that is sown is the children of the kingdom. The people of the kingdom, the people of the evil one, not just the the message this time, but the people obedient to that message. Last week, we're thinking about different kinds of soils, producing different kind of results. The path, it's the message snatched away. The good soil, the message is multiplied. But this week, Jesus has us thinking about different seeds. But we all know different seeds produce different plants, don't we? We all know the seed you plant is the plant you get. There's no surprises. So what is he trying to say with this parable? There's another thing to notice here. If you spend, uh, if you're the type that likes to spend a lot of your time mulling over theology and church history, you might be reading this parable as being about the church, about its uh, mixed state, about how come there are so many Christians who religiously head out to church each week who who call themselves by that name and yet their lives tell a completely different story. You might read this as a parable about us here in this building. Certainly lots of people have through time. But notice in verse 38, Jesus is very clear. What is the field? Can you find that in verse 38? What is the field? The field where the seeds are being sown. It's the world. It's the whole world. 
It's not just the church. It's not just Jesus' disciples. It's not just the contents of this room. The picture Jesus is painting tells us about the whole world. Want to argue? Take it up with Jesus. His parable, it's what he says about it. So that's what it's about. All this explanation, okay, we've got all this detailed mapping, we've got all this insight into what's going on. Yet notice he gives us nothing on the interim debate with the servants. He doesn't say a word about that argument. Why are we not pulling up these weeds? Why does it need to wait? How could pulling up the weeds damage the good crop? He says nothing about that. I guess it's meant to be completely clear from the first time round. Perhaps, actually, it's not. See what Jesus says right at the very end. His last words, he says, Whoever, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Pay attention, he says. Work at understanding. He's not just saying that to the crowds either. Remember, where does he explain? Where does he explain this parable? He explains it after he's gone into the house. After he's left the crowds. He explains this parable with his disciples. And even to his disciples, he says, work at it. Try to understand. They could miss it. That's what he's saying. They could miss it. We could, we could miss what he is saying here. So come on, let's try. Let's try and hear. What we're wrestling with is this question. If there is a good and powerful God, how come there's so much evil in the world? How come he can sort it out? Jesus tells us metaphorically this is because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. It can't be done without some harm coming to these people of the kingdom. Can we get any further? Can we make any more headway on why? Why can't you do it now? Why can't you fix this? I think we can. First thing I want us to consider, when Jesus explains this parable, who is there? Who's in the room? The disciples are there, right? The disciples are in the room. This ragtag band of his first followers, these fishermen, these ex-tax collectors, these ones who bumble their way through the gospel, so often failing to get what he's after. And yet ultimately these people who are so transformed, through them he builds a movement that reaches across the world, down through time, ultimately to here. That's who's in the room, but, but we're forgetting someone if that's all we're picturing in the room. There's another guy there too. You see, Judas is there in the room as well. Judas. The one who's going to betray Jesus, the one who's going to see him handed over to those who will falsely try him, stitch him up, ultimately kill him, Judas. He is not a good seed. He's a seed sown by the enemy. So let's ask the question about that small part of the field in the room where Jesus is explaining this parable. Could could the weed be removed? Why doesn't Jesus just tear that weed out right there? Why doesn't Jesus unmask his betrayer 
and strike him down there and then in the room like some great movie climax God has his reasons for leaving the weeds it's for the sake of the good seeds the sake of the other disciples that that they might not be uprooted do you think do you think the disciples would have understood that if Jesus could have taken Peter aside into the corner and just explained to Peter Peter Judas is going to betray me, but don't worry. It's okay. Do you know Peter's track record? Peter's pretty fast on the draw with the sword, isn't he? Do you think Peter might have whipped out the sword and struck down Judas right there? I don't think they would have understood. Why leave the weed in the field? Not at the time. But we can now, looking backwards, can't we? We can now. Because through Judas's actions, through his betrayal of Jesus into the hands of his enemies, through Jesus' sham trial, through his ugly, brutal death, which resulted, God was working something far bigger, far better, something so much more for his people, the people of the kingdom. Was it worth leaving that weed in the field? Yes. It was worth everything. As Jesus dies, you see, he dies in our place for our wrongs, for the things we do which separate us from God, for the ways in which we say no to him as our Lord and as our master. Jesus, in his death, he opens the way for our relationship with God to be restored, for us to be reconciled to the source of all life and all joy and all truth and all good. That's worth putting up with a weed in the middle of a field for, isn't it? Do you see what I'm saying here? To anyone who knew Judas, who could see through him, who could see what he was up to, it would have been profoundly confusing to see Jesus leave him in the middle of his 12. You would have thought, Jesus, you don't know. Or Jesus, you're scared. Or Jesus, you're incapable of dealing with him. But you would have been wrong. You wouldn't know that God was using it for good, working all things together for good, that through such an extreme evil, the betrayal of his own son, the betrayal of the one truly good man over to death for no crime, a good so much bigger could be done. Was the farmer right to leave the weed in the field? Yes, he was. Or think about the reading earlier. We read about Joseph. We read about Joseph. Do you remember? How does he see things at the end of the story? Remember what he said? Famous words, you intended to harm me, he says, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what's now being done. The saving of many lives. Is there a weed there that wasn't pulled up? Could God have struck down those brothers who sold their own brother as a slave? Yeah. But not without harming that good. So I have to ask you, is it possible that all the evil we see in the world, all this terrible evil, isn't dealt with because God is using it for the good of his people somehow? Somehow well outside of our vision. Perhaps somehow even beyond our understanding. Somehow we will never be able to grasp. Is it at least possible 
that that is what's going on when we see evil holding the upper hand is it possible just like with Judas from the other side one day we will see we will understand we will know that God truly wise did indeed do the right thing in fact isn't it quite arrogant to point the finger at God and at his justice when we see evil to conclude simply because we cannot see why he might permit that that there is no reason does that seem a tiny bit arrogant to you imagine this okay you are the six month old child that is going to be vaccinated your parent stabs you with a sharp object your parent is foolish evil they've hurt you where's the justice but you don't understand they are saving your life just because we do not understand and we do not see how this could be accomplishing good doesn't mean that it is not accomplishing good how arrogant it is to suggest otherwise but there's a second thing I want to see us about this parable as well it needs us to understand a little bit more exactly what the parable describes you see the word used for weed here almost certainly references a specific plant almost certainly references something called dremel and it turns out that dremel looks almost exactly like wheat at least to begin with as they sprout they both come up as little stalks of grass they look like pretty much any grass as they come up as they grow they look fairly similar they both have heads with grain on it with fluffy things so they start to look a little different when you can see these great heads of grain showing. But ultimately, do you know what? The wheat produces these white seeds that are good for food. Dremel produces purple blackish seeds that actually carry poison. In the end, they're opposite extremes. But to start with, to start with, they look really similar. Now here's the thing. If you're going to sort a field out, okay, if you're going to pull up all the weeds in the field, you need to be able to tell what a weed is, don't you? You need to be able to spot the weeds. How's that going to work? When they might look exactly the same. When they might look incredibly similar. How's that going to work? Do you think you could weed it? You have to remember, it's not the case that we've got one monochrome field with exactly, you know, equal seeds growing at exactly the same time and suddenly every head pops out. This is not how it works. It's going to be some taller here, some less there. There's a bit more wind here. There's some more sun over there. This is coming up faster. It's going to grow at different weights. It's not going to be on the same day that you can tell every weed from every weed. It's not going to be on the same day that the whole thing is revealed. So why can't they pull up the weeds? I want to suggest it's not just because their roots are entangled with each other, but We can't necessarily tell them apart. You see, the problem is we've all been weeds. Every one of us here has been a legitimate target of God's justice. Every one of us here started out there. That's what the Bible tells us. Every one of us started out hostile to God. Every one of us was an enemy from birth. I was a weed too. Now, if, if God had pushed that red button and caught in the airstrike 21 years ago, it would have been me. There I was. I was walking away from God. 
from what I knew he wanted from me. There I was telling God, talk to the hand. I'm my boss. If that strike came today, if that strike came today, if every weed was swept away, well, how many more who would one day come to Jesus would be torn up out of the field? How many shoots looking a bit like a weed would have been pulled up before they had time to grow and show what sort of root, uh, fruit they would bear in the end? Let me give you an example where we can see from this side, but you couldn't have imagined in the midst of it, Paul. Do you know Paul, one of Jesus' first followers? Do you know his story? He was exceptionally well-educated. He was religious in the extreme. He was dead set against the earliest church. Here's how the Bible describes it. It says, he began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. I'm sure everyone was calling on God back then. Pull up this weed. Strike down this evil. Is this weed going to destroy the church? Are you going to let that happen, God? How can there be a God if somebody who seeks to destroy his church just gets to carry on doing it? Perhaps you don't know how the story ends. Well, Paul's life was radically changed through an encounter with Jesus, radically changed from being public enemy number one of the church. He went to being the single most significant guy in advancing it. He was the guy who brought the gospel to Europe, most likely. He says, um, I have finished the work in this region, claims to have seeded the entirety of Asia with the gospel. He spent his life in the service of this church he's been seeking to destroy. He himself sees this. This that he was a weed. And that he could have been pulled up. But it was for God's purposes, God's good, that he wasn't. Here's what he writes to one of his uh, protégés towards the end of his life. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. As an example for those who would believe in him and return, uh, receive eternal life. Did you catch that? Paul knows he's done great evil. He knows that he's been shown great mercy. But what does he say Jesus displayed with him? He says, Jesus displayed immense patience. Patience in not weeding him out, despite his great evil. Patience, not indifference to the evil that Paul was doing. Not indifference to the damage that he was causing to the church. Not inability to deal with him. Patience, because he was going to come to Jesus. He was going to become enormously fruitful. Ultimately, he was going to add to the good harvest. Or what about Peter? Another one of Jesus' first followers. He talks about longing to see that ultimate end to evil now as he writes a letter towards the end of his life. He talks about longing for that harvest time where the weeds are finally pulled up and burnt and destroyed. He talks about it in exactly the same terms. It is God's patience that holds it back. Not his impotence, not his ignorance. 
Let me read to you again. This is um, from 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. He talks about that final day. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter goes on to explain, bear in mind, he says, that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Yeah, Peter knows this is true too. When we long for justice, when we long for an end of evil, we have to remember sometimes, sometimes what we are seeing is God's patience at work. And this patience has a clear purpose. Repentance. Turning around and going back the other way. Salvation. Deliverance from that final judgment when the harvest comes. God's patience is intended to lead us to repentance. And for every Christian in, your, in this room, this is your story. It was God's patience. It was God's patience that brought you to repentance. His delaying of justice, his withholding of weeding is what means you're here at all. And if you're not a Christian here today, know that God is not ignorant of evil. Neither is he impotent, unable to do anything about it. He is not going to overlook it in the end, not the smallest, tiniest thing. But he is patient. He is patient wanting you to come to repentance and salvation and not judgment. Why is there so much evil in the world? How come God doesn't step in and deal with it? Some he's using for greater good. Perhaps we'll see it. Perhaps we'll never see it. Perhaps we'll understand it one day. Perhaps we'll never understand it. Some he is patient with, wanting it to come to repentance and salvation. God always has a greater good in view. One final thing. The grain will be safe. All of it. All of the grain is going to get gathered in. That's never at risk. Do you notice that in the story, all the enemy's action, everything the enemy tried to do to shipwreck the plans of the farmer, how much effect did it have in the end? None. It's utterly futile. All the weeds that burn up, all the harvest, it's gathered. No one ultimately will be snatched out of God's hand through this. They can kill the body, but that's all. 21 Coptic Christians slaughtered. What do we say to that? Terrible tragedy. Great evil. But are they lost? No. No. They are now finally safe home. The grain's all going to be safe for the harvest. Not a single grain is lost. 
but you don't want to be bundled up with the weeds when that day comes. Let's pray together.